Let's go ahead, right, dive right into our word. We have our reader for me ready. I'll be reading from the NIV, Exodus chapter 6, verse 2 through 13. I'll start with 2, and our reader will go with uh, 3, and so on. God also said to Mo- if you all stand up for the public reading of God's word. Thank you. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the yoke, from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go, oh, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? Altogether? Now the, the Lord spoke, spoke to Moses and Aaron, and Aaron about, about the Israelites and Pharaoh, and Pharaoh king, king of Egypt, Egypt and, and he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank you for allowing us to gather together here uh, on this beautiful April Sunday. Um, now we see that the heat is coming and uh, many people have been now vaccinated. We ask, Lord, that you would lead us to restore worship in the, in the, in the presence of each, each other. That we would not rely, have to rely on the, the technology. That we would, Lord, be able to gather together. Uh, because now we're now at the tail end of the pandemic and something more urgent is going on, which is how we are in our spiritual state. Lord, uh, may the words that is uh, preached today have a relevance, a direct relevance to our spiritual condition. And Lord, uh, may your speaker speak your truth with, uh, with authority and the spiritual power. And uh, may the congregation receive something priceless, and that they will be able to look at the rest of their days uh, from a new light. In Jesus' name we pray all of this. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Uh, What a great pleasure it is for me to be able to preach to you again on this Sunday. Uh, Now, the text that I chose is actually the portion for the quiet time we do through living life. It was for Saturday. I had to preach a message to the KSC in Korean, so uh, I'm gonna just I'm just gonna go ahead and deliver the same message to you guys. Um, now, I gotta ask you guys: How is it that we are able to know God? How do we come to know God? And your anyone? Since you guys, some of you guys are here, the question is: How can we know God? You may take yourselves off a of mute, Sean. If you would. Uh, 
Put yourself on camera, please. It'd be nice to see you. I guess Sean's not there. The only way that we're able to know God is because He reveals Himself to us. He reveals Himself to us. And uh, the only way we can know God is through His revelation. Of course, uh, in theology, there's a thing called general revelation, which is in the category of natural theology. When you look at all the amazing things, ever since you were little, you were learning about science. When you look at the, in biology, when you look at how photosynthesis works, when you look at how the planetary, like there's order in everything that's created around the universe, we marvel at it. We go, man, how could that just happen without a designer, right? So we, we have to necessarily look at the creation that's around us, and then we intimate, we speculate about who God must be like. But there is a limitation in that because even though we do, we get inspired to, to, to envision a God. It is like we say, it is just a vision from our own minds. It could be a, it could be a distorted image that's just really uh, distorted by our own biases and preconceptions. So, uh, there's, a, there's a greater chance for us to have the wrong God when we just uh, uh, rely on our own devices. That's why we meet together in community and that's why we hold the Bible so high as the unique and the absolute portal by which we get to meet the living God today. And it's a pretty exclusive claim, right? But I want you to know that the truth is, is necessarily, necessarily uh, uh, exclusive and truth is not relative. Truth is absolute. Truth doesn't change. When we're talking about truth, we're not talking about an idea. We believers are talking about Jesus Christ. When we say truth, we're talking about a person. And, uh, and what Jesus shares with us, there's two impossibilities. He refers to two impossibilities in us coming to know God. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6. No one can come to the Father except through me. No one can come to the Father except through me. You guys know that a lot of people uh, that have been to college, you might have heard, oh, you know, all roads lead to salvation. Come on, you know. That's what they'll say, right? If all roads lead to Jesus, then maybe, then maybe. But not all roads lead to salvation, right? In, in, in fact, if salvation is tantamount to us coming to know God the Father, the only way by which we can know God the Father is through Jesus Christ. But here's the, here's the rub. There's another, there's another uh, difficulty here is that even to meet Jesus is not something that happens all by itself. Look at what Jesus says in the John chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me except that the Father draws him near. So if it wasn't for God the Father who has created all the heavens and the earth, if He hadn't drawn us near to Christ, there's no way for us to have met Jesus. All of us here who have met Jesus is because the Heavenly Father has drawn us near Him. Some of you may have, uh, ha may have had your faith since you were young, but that was God already in, the, in your life, already working 
perhaps even prior to, to your life, making, fit, making all the conditions fit so that you would come to this place and time where you, can, where you can know Jesus and love Jesus and therefore become a worshiper of God. It's, a, it's an absolutely incredible blessing that we have when we are uh, claiming, when we, when we do confess that Jesus is our Lord and when we have that connection with God the Father, that's not something that everybody enjoys. And, and I don't know if we sometimes forget how wonderful it is, how important it is. We forget sometimes and take it for granted. It is something that we should be eternally grateful for. And uh, it is because the Lord Jesus and because the Father, God the Father, has revealed Himself to us that we have the faith that we enjoy today. Now, uh, what our text says today is that this is uh, God talking to Moses. And he says, you know, to the earlier patriarchs in, uh, in Genesis, I did, not, I did not tell them my name. God did not tell them his name as he did to, to Moses. Do you guys know what God's name was? Moses asks God, who do I tell them that sent me? What is your name? Moses asked that of God, right? Do you guys remember how he answered Take yourselves off a of mute and then answer if you're on Zoom. What was his answer? What was God's name? When Moses asked. If you're here, just shout it out. If you know it. That's right. I am who I am. Tell him that I am has sent you, right? You know, in the Hebrew, um, there are many names for God. El Shaddai is one of the names. And then we have uh, also... The tetragrammaton, the, the four consonants that cannot be pronounced by human mouth because our mouths are defiled. To, to be able to utter God's holy name is unfit. So what they say is, they say the word Adonai, which means Lord. Or Elohim, which means, which means God. You know? And uh, when you look at the, the Septuagint, and when you look at the New, New Testament, the Greek word is Kyrios, which, which means Lord. And... Uh, we call him Lord now. But when you, when you take one step further, uh, Yahweh, the name Yahweh, uh, when, Jesus, when, uh, when, God, when, the, when God the Lord has revealed his name as I am who I am, or they say that the, in Hebrew they don't have a to be, the to be verb is not in the present tense, it's in the future tense. So, so more technically correctly, it would be I will be who I will be. And uh, when you read that in the, in the Hebrew language, it reads like this. Echie, Asher, Echie. When you say Echie, it sounds like Yahweh, or how, how we transliterate that with Jehovah. And here is the amazing thing, is that when we go to the Genesis patriarchs of uh, Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob, they trusted the Lord, they trusted God without even knowing His name. It is only by now at the, at the Exodus saga that we, we get to hear through Moses' you know, uh, request, upon Moses' request, what is your name? And at that time, God gives the answer, and our today's first point is this. When it comes to the revelation of God, it's always going to be partial, and it's going to be progressive. God's self-revelation is partial and progressive. How do we know this? We see this in the Bible. For, first of all, 
Nobody can know God all at once. Nobody can have perfect knowledge of God, right? Only God has a perfect knowledge of himself. Like, even if we were to ask you, okay, uh, the Lee brothers and sister, they, you guys know each other really well, but could you say that you know each other, like, completely? John says, yeah, I know each other completely. You know, even if, even if, even the next person, like uh, Timothy and uh, Timmy and uh, Priscilla, do you know each other, like, perfectly, completely? No, because as time goes by, we will be able to find out more and more. It's a progressive and a partial thing. You guys know each other now in your current age, but in a different context, right? If you, were, if you had a family together, like into the future, when you're older, all of these things are progressive things where you learn and learn to appreciate in the totality of the person. It happens with time. You don't know a person all at once. And ultimately, because God is divine, primarily, He, he is actually dangerous for us, to, for us to be able to approach. We cannot, we, cannot approach, we cannot approach God, we cannot even dare to approach God without a partial shielding. We have to be shielded from Him. It would be a terrible danger if we were to actually be able to approach God without any buffer. And this is precisely the role that Jesus Christ takes. He is the intercessor. Without Jesus, we cannot come to the Father. And even Paul says this in the 1 Corinthians 13, 9. We only know in part, and we prophesy in part. So if you, if you were to factor all of these things to account, when we look at Moses, he's a great figure. He's known as the, the prophet par excellence, Right? He is the person, the one person that the Lord has handpicked and yet still has only disclosed and revealed of himself in that partial way. He is the person who has been chosen. Right? Uh, you've heard me probably critique this before, but in the, uh, in the major, in the major uh, popular culture in the media of the United States, uh, the God that is proclaimed as of late in the contemporary times, it's a God that has been watered down. The gospel is watered down. We don't talk about hell or sin anymore. We don't talk about the terrible power that God is. We have domesticated God into the image of our more comfortable selves. Right? And to this point, we actually have created in our culture a God that is not God at all. Have you guys ever heard people say this ridiculous thing? Jesus is my homie. Have you ever heard anybody say that? It's not good. I mean, that, that's, that's, not, that's, not, uh, that's not how we describe our relationship with the Lord that saved us with His blood. It, it shows something. It's a, it's a deficiency on our part about understanding what is holy and why it's priceless. Why it's important for us to retain that holiness and, and its power and not to overly familiarize ourselves. We have to seek the true deal from the Bible every day and to seek and to accept no substitute. Don't think to yourself, ah, it's all right, you know. Accept no substitute when it comes to seeking the real, real God. Don't accept the things that are peddled in culture and to pander your feelings. When we look at the, uh, the second part of the, the second verse in English, uh, it says right here, by my name, 
the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. Right? So, if you look, if you look just a few verses before, the Lord has, God has revealed himself to Moses as a fire that was not consuming this, this bush. And there was a voice that, that emanated from it. And uh, through this process, Moses believed. Moses obeyed and believed the voice that came out of this, fi- this strange apparition, right? What kind of a faith would you call that? That's a, you know, that's a pretty tremendous faith. Now, uh, at this time in the Bible, we have God who hears the groaning of the slaves, the Israelites that have become slaves for hundreds of years under, e- under the clutches of Egypt, and uh, they're at the point, at the verge of losing their identity as God's people because they, have, they don't remember the legacy of their, the patriarchs from Genesis. So essentially what they might be losing is not only the fact that they're childs of God, children of God, they have become slaves and uh, um, they don't remember anything of, of God the Father who has claimed them as their own. And it is at this time that God calls to reminder Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that those names and then wants to reappropriate. He wants, to, he wants them to reclaim that, that faith legacy and then instill it back into them. It's a very important phase of, of, uh, of the Pentateuch, of the four or five books of the Bible. When, uh, when we have our lives of faith, when we're living it out, you know, there is one thing that we know. Even though we live with faith, we do live with the uncertainty about the future. We don't know what's going to happen uh, tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen next week. Right? All we can do, the best we can do, is to seek God every day, to seek the Lord and then seek what it is that He intends for us, and to do our best to keep that. That's the best we can do. We have no idea how 2021 will end and how 2022 will be. Nobody knows. Except what we do know is that as we're living it out together, as we're living life together, our life of faith, we do see that each person has met this part of God. We know we, we interact with God in this way. And when we gather together, we share this about God, these aspects of God. And then we come to the more fuller knowledge more complete knowledge of God. That's why the communion of saints is such a beautiful thing. Because whereas if I was just living out in the woods, enjoying nature alone, right? And then I could say I'm a worshiper of God, and I might know God in that personal way. When you have a whole group of people gathered together and then sharing the, the life experiences, necessarily you come to know, you come to, to learn the, 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 uh, uh, the more complete picture of God. It's a construction, right? Uh, I've been, I've had the, uh, this week I had the, uh, the opportunity to, to attend the uh, Shepherds Conference. Um, it's actually the Pastors House Church Conference on uh, Zoom. And um, this was hosted by the, the very church that has sent Daniel Beck to our church. Pastor Daniel Beck to our church. Uh, Seoul Baptist Church in Houston. And uh, they have a small group after they have their they have their, uh, their symposium and the conference. 
they have like a small group. And in my, in my small group, I had a pastor from Toronto, from Maui, from San Jose, Dallas, and New Hampshire. The pastor from San Jose was sharing with me that, oh, yeah, Pastor Lee, when he passed away, uh, we were very hurt and we, we all cried in the church because he, he, Pastor Lee, uh, shortly before he was diagnosed with the disease, he had gone to that San Jose church to do a revival. So it was, it was a nice time of camaraderie and fellowship. And we were able to share how these pastors were able to overcome the difficulties of the coronavirus. And so as we're sharing, there are a lot of things that challenge me. I'm like, oh, I should have done that. Like a lot of churches, because they were like uh, unable to meet together, they found that time to be perfect, to, to do dedicated, like, uh, like to, to, to instill a new habit of prayer. There was like prayer programs or prayer plans that they had done. And then they were also had like a Bible reading plan. They had like some incredible thing like read, let's read the whole thing in five weeks or something like that. And there are people that, that have been doing it. And so I'm like, wow, that's, that I never thought of uh, challenging my people in that, to that caliber, right? And there are a lot of challenges and there's also a lot of things that, that we share that we, uh, we, we kind of experience it together. We have an agreement about, yeah, that's right, you know. And uh, as we were sharing what the Lord reveals to us partially in this process, uh, we were able to appreciate all the more uh, each other. We appreciate each other and appreciate God for what He shows each and every one of us in our unique circumstances, in our unique uh, places. So, as we, as we come together, we were able to see the big picture, and um, it is through, even through this uh, corona uh, pandemic, we're able to come to know God better. Next time when there is some other kind of a crisis, some kind of another situation, we might be able to even learn another aspect of God. How many of you have um, been able to think, at least at some level, you thought, wow, maybe the end will come in this way? Have you guys ever thought that? Some of you are actually nodding your heads, right? You know, there was one time, this was last year, I think it might have been a Sunday, I was, I was driving, and, and no, of course nobody was showing up, I was just doing this on my own, nobody in the audience. I would put my iPhone right here, but on the way to church, there was absolutely no car at all. It was like, no car at all. And I'm like, this happens only in movies, right? It was eerie. It was such an eerie thing to dr be driving to church and... And I'm like, wow, it, this must be the apocalypse. This must be the end. It really felt like that. When you go to the stores and you see aisles just completely stripped of all the toilet paper and the paper towel material, I'm going, my Lord, I mean, what is going on here? You know, It really felt like, uh, at least for a moment, momentarily, we were thinking, man, what if the end was going to come in this way? Right? Now, um, in the... In the text, in the, I want you guys to get the broader context of, of, of the Israelites, how they were displaced from their own land. They were, they were supposed to be nomadic people anyway, but, but as they move around, they, they, come to, they come to learn about themselves. Like even with Abraham, right? God tells Abraham, leave your house and then come to the land I show you. So there is this, there's this command of migration to move from one place that you're familiar to another. And you know what they call this? They call this in missiology, theology of migration. God oftentimes 
show us more of himself as we are willing to let go of whatever is enforcing our identity. Like when we're at home and your mom and dad know you, your brothers and sisters know you, that's who you are. So you're kind of like a, a fit, fixed into that mold and you can't, you can't really change above that. But when you leave, when you go, like sometimes, you know when we do that, the, the student exchange, when you go to a foreign exchange, you go to a different country and then you live at homestay with those people. And then what you begin to do, you discover all these things about yourself that you did not know in context of God. God is showing you all these things that, that have been built into you and you get to discover because you have moved away from one place to another. So in the theology of migration, what we're seeing is these people that God is referring to, they were sojourners and God had given them a promise that they will occupy the land of Canaan. He would give it to them, right? So he is bringing up the promise that he had made to the patriarchs in Genesis as they were uh, out, out away from their hometown without any leeway, other leeway than to really just live by the word of God. They were only able to live by the word of God. Like if God didn't say anything that day, they were pretty screwed. They're like, oh, what do we do now? But as God was telling them, speaking to them, and was uh, in his noticeable presence, they were able to take that as a daily food, the daily morsel of the, the energy, the motivation to live out in that process where God was partially, every day, showing himself more and more and more. In that relationship, we get to know more and more. So uh, you guys have relationships with each other, like the Lee brothers and sisters, you have relationships. Like, uh, you guys have relationships, right? You know each other. And uh, the longer you know somebody, you come to know that person more and more and more, right? Right? Less and less surprises, right? Sometimes uh, he surprises us. God surprises us and he goes, wow, I didn't know that God has had this side to him. Oh, sometimes God can show his love in this way. Right? And these kinds of realizations, it, it renews our faith. It renews our sense of faith. And also, what do you call it? The, uh, it destroys preconceived notions. We might have only, we only thought maybe God was like this. But then, like, you know, sometimes he throws a curveball at us. And then as more and more we know, we realize, oh, that was just, you know, my limiting, my, my limiting, uh, putting God in my own comfortable box and thinking that God was only this much, right? So I pray that each and every one of us here at the ESE would be able to, to warmly receive these challenges that come where he, where he partially reveals himself and you'll be able to roll with the punches and to know, more, know him more and more with crystal clarity each and every day. Amen? Amen. So what's happening here? is that God reminds them that in Genesis that he had promised the patriarchs to give them this land, but now he hears the groaning of the, Egypt, uh, of the, uh, of the Israelites, the sons of Israel, uh, under, the, under the clutches of the, of the slave-driving Egyptians. And he's showing that the part the part that was revealed in Genesis and the part that was revealed in Egypt is consistent. It's the same God. Uh, there was a sermon that I was reading a long time ago when I was in seminary by none other than Martin Luther King Jr. You guys all know who that is, right? MLK Jr. 
In that sermon, he said that the, there's two different gods in the Bible. In the Old Testament, there's a tribal god, you know, go kill a Philistine, right? You know, for the sake of Israel, because Israel was a tribe, and he was in there, what they were talking about is a tribal god. And then in the New Testament, Jesus is about loving your neighbor, so it's a different God. But uh, I want you to know that in the Bible, it's all the same God. The one God is more, more uncomfortable with, you know, because we think that Jesus is love. When we get to, to the book of Revelation, if you, you don't think that the gruesome things don't happen anymore, there you will know, understand the, the terror of what it means to fall out of line with His holiness, right? God was not happy about the slavery that was going on, uh, especially of the special people. I mean, you, you could ask yourselves, why? Why did God allow Egypt, uh, Egyptians to take, dominate over Israel for so many years? If you guys, if you guys been paying attention, you know that uh, as of late in the United States culture and society, we've had a lot of uh, uh, conflict and tension between the, the whites and the blacks especially. But this is something that happened even long before the George Floyd incident, right? There was a Ferguson. There's, there's things that happen, like the you know, police, the structure. It's something that's been, magni been magnified by the media. And, uh, and, and these things, these things that the people perceive in society make them think that God is doing nothing, that they don't care. Atheists, for example, that they will, they will come with objections. They'll say, I can't, they'll actually say, I cannot believe in a God that institutes slavery. They blame God for slavery being in existence, right? But what we see here in the text is that He wants to rescue, God wants to rescue the Israelites out of the life of slavery by stretching out his arms and to bring down judgment on them. What we see here is God who rescues. Salvation is about rescue. It's a rescue, it's a rescue mission. And uh, we know that God is God of love and at the same time God of justice. But what we see, what the text shows us today is God of liberation, God of freedom. He wants to lead his people, the Hebrews, into the freedom of worshiping him. He wants to lead the people into the freedom and the dignity that they, that, that they were granted before, to, for them to restore that image. Um, the whole the slavery, the slavery regulations, is something that, slavery existed even before the law existed. Can we agree on that? Slavery existed even before. You guys remember in the, when you go back to Genesis, um, Jacob had 12 sons. What was the name of the 11th son? Do you remember? Later he becomes prime minister of Egypt. What was his name? Somebody said it. Can you say it louder? Joseph, yeah. Joseph. Joseph was sold by his brothers, by his older brothers, as a slave. This was long before the law was instituted for slavery. It's only later that when you look at Leviticus and other parts of Exodus, there are, some, there are some provisions made by law actually for the protection of the, of the slaves, right? To not mistreat them. That's, that's something that God tells them to do. I mean, slavery already exists anyway, but if you must, 
don't mistreat your slaves. We're in a, uh, we're talking about a, 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 a practice where, where a human being is able to purchase and sell another human being like it was an object or a beast of burden. It's something that happened because of sin, not because God had instituted it. So, the slavery that, that I want to I talk about is something that is more far-reaching and broader in scope. We think that slavery uh, from human oppressors is the only kind of slavery, but when Adam and Eve had taken of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and they had to be exiled from the Garden of Eden, they were already, they were already ostracized from the Tree of Life, and they had already mounted upon them a, a yoke that's much, much heavier than any other physical uh, labor kind of slavery. We're talking about the slavery that comes into human lives as sin and death. Before we got to know Jesus Christ, we were all destined for death in sin. Sin and death, right? And that's, it. that's the second part that I want to I wanna actually... Uh, impress upon you is that God that the text shows us is, is the, uh, the uh, foretaste of the God of liberation that Jesus is. Right? Moses is meeting with God who intends on liberating the, the, the Jewish people, the Israelites from out of Egypt only to point towards Jesus Christ who wants to lead us out of a life of sin and death. This, uh, this passage, this text, uh, my studying of uh, Exodus, it reminds me of a time when I was uh, in seminary back at Fuller. I took a class. I took a class called Pentateuch. Pentateuch is, by the way, the first five books of the Bible. And I, I thought to myself, maybe I'll take this one in, in Spanish. Because I lived in South America for three years, so... I'm a fluent Spanish speaker, so I thought that I would take it in Spanish. And uh, I mean, needless to say, there was a, the class was full of Latino pastors, right? Yeah, like except for this one Caucasian lady, and uh, you guys all met him, my friend Alejandro. Uh, he sometimes show, shows up on Zoom. Uh, except for these guys, the rest of them are from like Guatemala, El Salvador, Mexico, uh, Peru. They're all pastors from these areas. And uh, the reason why Latin America and Central America is so important is because uh, there is a Peruvian theologian and a priest by the name of Gustavo Gutierrez who came uh, from, this, from studying the, the Hebrews and uh, studying the, the, the God who, who deals with the, with, the, with the sin of the slavery under the Egyptians in the, in the book of Exodus. He sees the God of liberation, and from there, he has actually created a theology of liberation, liberation theology. If you look, up, look it up on Wikipedia, you'll see that that's where it takes its origin. And he's become quite famous uh, by uh, expounding this theology of liberation, that God, God is God of life. You know? uh, if, we, if we look at our society, if we look at the pockets of society in our culture, and we see ghettos where people are not, their basic needs are not being met. The question is, where is God for those people? And the reason why this is important in the Latin American area 
is that when you look at Central and Latin America, this is a little bit of missiology uh, encoded into our, our message. Uh, how was, how did South America become a Spanish-speaking and, and Portuguese-speaking continent? It's because there were Jesuit priests and missionaries uh, and also Catholic priests that had infiltrated into that, that whole area, their civilization, from Spain and Portugal. And later on, they were colonialized through military strength. So we're talking about soldiers coming in, South America and, and Central America, with sword and forcing the conversion upon them. I mean, imagine evangelism that way today, right? It would be like, can you imagine Christians trying to evangelize people with the, with the gun? You know, like, well, you're going to believe in Jesus or not. Say yes, you'll live. Say no, well, you're out of luck. That's basically what was happening down there. When you examine the history of South and Latin America, there were people that were being converted under, those, under that duress, under that condition. What's the likelihood, what's the chance that would be a genuine conversion? What's the likelihood that they would come to Jesus because they wanted to come to Jesus because their hearts were wide open and wanted to know their Lord more? Sometimes this happens, and uh, we don't like it. But uh, even nowadays, when you go to South and Central America, when you, look, when you go into the mountains, there are the aborigines that, that still have their, uh, uh, their doubts. They're very uh, skeptical. They have, the uh, Christians don't have credibility in that area, especially the Catholics. So when we do go back there, now the work is much, that much harder. You have to really go in there and really live among them to, to, gain, to gain their trust. And so uh, missionaries today that go into those areas, they're very much like Moses, who proclaims the God of liberation. The God of, they don't have to live in hiding anymore. Um, a lot of those, these aborigines, the indigenous people of South America, they're living in hiding still. Because when God has created human beings, in whose image were we created, male and female? In whose image were we created? In God's image, right? We were created in God's image. That's why, that's why before we fell, we had that holiness. The holiness of God was part of our image. And of course, uh, if we want to, if we're, we're talking about serving, we're serving God, but, but, but you know, for, for a human being to, to, to enslave another human being, that would be far from God's institution. It's really the fruit of, of human sin. It's like, it's like the water has already been spilt, so God is giving ways for it to pick it up to minimize the damage. What does God say in the, in the text today? He says, Today I will have you as be my people and I'll be your God. Then you will know that I am your God. And, and to know God is primarily to be freed from that slave mentality. The slave mentality. And by slavery we're not talking about, we're talking about slavery to sin. To be from the slave, slave mentality of sin. Because if you have eternal life by the promise that Jesus makes, and you know that He's 
trustworthy, then you no longer are afraid of fear. There's nothing that can actually imprison you in this in this world. It, they cannot. It cannot enslave you in this world because the freedom that we enjoy in that was already paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death, right? The wages of sin is death. Everybody has sinned. Nobody here is sinless. Nobody like Jesus. But Jesus paid for it with His own blood and therefore we're no longer slaves to death, the fear of death. We're no longer slaves to the sin that continues to, 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 to try to, you know, to have us. No longer slaves. When we, uh, when we talk about slaves, necessarily we have to kind of reflect, we have to think back about the United States uh, history and also the history of slavery from, uh, from England. I mean, there were a lot of uh, Christians who rightfully were abolitionists, saying that this is a, not a practice that God is happy with. But the very, very same Bible-believing Christians were using the Bible to appropriate it, to justify it. Hey, look, it's in the Bible. So why don't we do it this way? Right? How, might, how might the book of Exodus, this part that we're reading today, have sounded to the, to the, to the black slaves in the United States before the Civil War? It's probably words that, that would have uh, really penetrated deep into their bones. But this is a fact. Texts like today from Exodus was content that was very disadvantageous for, for it to be shared with them. If I was a white slave master, I would not want my slaves to know this passage about God, that God is the God of freedom. You know, in Washington, D.C., there's a, there's a Bible museum. I was surprised to learn this while I was researching for the message. I was surprised to find that there is actually a Bible. You know, there's a 1,189 chapters in the Bible, and it's been truncated. It's called a slave edition, slave Bible. There's only 232 Bible verses, uh, Bible chapters, that they have. They have removed all the parts, probably all the parts of Exodus, all the parts about where God is for the freedom of man, and. Uh, uh, they used this Bible for, I mean, this was actually by English missionaries uh, that wanted to control the people in the Caribbean islands. And I think to myself, that's atrocious. That's atrocious. If you want to know how people can control you, it's just to show you just few parts of the Bible, just few parts of the Bible, and then only feed that to you, Right? If I want to control you through the Word of God, just just few parts. But for, for us to know it all and to know it all in tension, it is really, um, we're, we're able to have, be more judicious than to, than to, than to be uh, uh, used, manipulated by the slave edition of the Bible. I, I wonder to myself, how could believing Christians do that? How can they compromise the truth in such a manner that they would use it in such a distorted way? How could, they, how could Christians do that, no less? And uh, the answer is simple. 
human humanity under sin can do far worse. Human beings in sin can do far worse. They don't even think that it's sin, probably. They're able to use the human labor as if they were using beasts, you know, animals, and even the, uh, uh, the slaves or the masters of, their, of these slaves probably could not think about the fact that God's image was in which they were built, they were, they were made. And uh, we can't say that there is no slavery anymore. It's still an institution that's very much alive. Does slavery still exist today? Yes, it does. Does it only exist in these other, like, uh, you know, like Southeast Asia and these other countries? It exists right now here in the United States. We have actually, under the radar, there's a, a sex trafficking. Sex trafficking, where, where young girls are abducted and they're used, they're traded as if they're just uh, property. I, I tell you, brothers and sisters, uh, as long as there is re no resolution to this problem of sin in this society, and there, are, there will be people that are being oppressed, God will hear their groaning. God will hear their groaning. And God will liberate them. The, the part that we read of our text today is a very, very important part where God is make, taking the initiative. He's intervening to restore the image of His people and to restore it to that point where they will have the measure of freedom that's required for them to be able to choose God and to love Him. If you were forced to love somebody, is that really love? If you're somehow pre-scripted, programmed, if you had a computer, and you program the computer to, in your machine language, say, <laughs> let's say that I'm very insecure, so I need like a daily affirmation. So I tell my machine to say, uh, every morning, uh, 10 times a day, tell me that you love me. And so I program that in, and then so it does that every day, 10 times a day. Do you think that that would be satisfying? No. It's not the genuine, it's not the real deal. The fact that, that God leaves that freedom for us to not choose Him is actually what makes our, our choosing Him that much more real. If we're forced to love God somehow, He knows that that wouldn't really be truly love. Right? Sometimes it comes like this, the challenges, the partial revelation of our, our own allegiance to God comes, comes in this way you got to sometimes ask yourself, wait a minute, do I love God because of all the things that He has allowed me to afford? All the gifts that He has given me? Is that why I love God? Would I still love God if, I had take, if He had taken all, the, all of those things away? If you ever read Job, it's like that. That's what it's about. Would you still love God if He had the protective hedges that He had around you removed and all, you were under attack of all sorts of things? Would you curse God at that time? That's the question. When we make a choice for God, it's because we know that there's something unquestionable about His being and His presence. And that you know that He is worthy. He's worthy of it all. I pray that each and every one of you that have come here to worship God, that you will be able to worship Him in, in, in spirit and in truth, and that you will have this freedom of conscience to be able to really genuinely go out there and to love God. Whether a person, anybody else is looking or watching or not, 
that doesn't really matter. If what, what really matters is the position of your heart, your attitude, and your posture before a, a living God, an almighty God. The last point that I want to uh, share with you today is the, uh, the difficulty in being the intercessor. Intercession is difficult. And uh, we're all intercessors, by the way. When we look at uh, Exodus 19.6, um, God says, you will be a nation that serves me. You'll be a priestly nation. You'll be a holy people. And uh, I want you to, to teach these words to, to the children, the, the, the next generation of Israel. So that's the legacy that God wants them to have handed down from generation to generation. And you know what uh, Peter says? Apostle Peter says in his first letter, second, second chapter, verse 9, but you are a chosen people. You are uh, priests of kings, a holy nation. You are uh, a people that belong to God. And that is to call you out of darkness and to, to proclaim you into the marvelous light. Now, just as Moses was told by God, you know, it says, uh, since I was going to, I promised that I would give you their land, I will have, now I'll give this to you so that you will be able to, you'll be able to, to claim the land. I am the Lord. He, he, he shares that message. Moses shares that message faithfully to the Israelites, but you know how they react? Because they, their labor was so heavy. Because they just, their hearts were not, their hearts were so deflated. They were so dis, in despair. They could not be swayed otherwise. They heard the message from Moses, but they were not able to respond appropriately. They could not hear him. Moses' message was not good news to them. They were disheartened. And, and because their lives were so bitter with the hard work, they could not even imagine change. So they couldn't hear a word that he was saying. And so I want you to imagine Moses' position. Okay? Moses is, has to do a double difficulty too, right? He tells his people, look, I met God, and he has his promise. He's going to free you all from this slavery, and, and we're going to be taken out. And remember, our forefathers were, were given this promise that he would give us the land of Canaan. He would give it to us. And they're like, nah, oh, whatever, you know. That's probably the response. Oh, whatever, Moses, you know. That's the response. And now the more difficult mission that he has is now he has to go to Pharaoh, the one that has them all in his own clutches. He's, he has his whole, all, all these people, but right now he has to go to Mo, uh, Moses has to go to Pharaoh without any remuneration, without any, without any like uh, uh, pay. Wants to take all, all their major mode of production, the people of Israel, out. And, uh, and his question is, how am I going to convince Pharaoh? How am I going to convince Pharaoh to let these people go when the people themselves don't even believe that the living God wants to give them freedom? 
That is the position of the intercessor. That is the position of someone like myself. Like when I hear God has a message for for you, like I'm always contending with your receptivity. How well do you listen to the message, or 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 if your mind just kind of wanders in different directions? And another thing is, um, like a, someone like a Pastor Daniel, who just comes to this to this church and now wants to start a new chapter, new under new leadership, wants to take it to another direction. You kind of have to. Uh, ask yourself how difficult difficult is that position, the place of intercession? Because if you do uh, lead a uh, house church like Adam and uh, Eric, you guys lead, lead leading lead, like if you're if you're a father or a husband of a house of a household, that leader of the household is an intercessor, interceding before God and the, on behalf of the family. Same thing with the, the shepherds. Shepherds are interceding. Your task is not just to have the meeting every week, but you're praying for your church, church members, aren't you? You're praying for uh, potential VIPs to come into the fold, right? You're interceding that the people that are entrusted to you would, would be able to fulfill their calling more, right? That is our, our job. And same thing with me. When I look at the wider the, the ESC, I am praying and interceding and that's the difficult thing because sometimes the mission at hand is not received, is not received with, uh, uh, it's not always received with welcome, right? That's what's difficult about it. We are intercessors, not unlike Moses having to go to Pharaoh and then telling them, look, Pharaoh, these are not your people. Just give him three days to go and worship God out in the desert. That's the hard message that he has to give the, the Moses has to give Pharaoh. But each and every one of us that are sitting here today, we're intercessors for souls in this out in the world. We gotta have the the guts to be able to go in front of Satan who thinks he has all their souls and say, That soul is not yours. This soul is not yours. This belongs to God. That is what we got to be able to do. We're intercessors for Jesus. By the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus compels you. The blood of Jesus compels you to let his people go. That is our message against the so-called God of this world. And we will take no casualties. No casualties. The cost of his blood, too costly, too precious. And uh, you have to have a boldness. You have to have a boldness to be able to do that. And, uh, and, and you know, when we, when we read in the text, Moses didn't have that boldness. He was meek. He was, you know, he was shy. He, was, uh, he didn't have... He didn't have confidence in, in, his own, in his own strength. Yeah, sure. But who is it that's commanding this? Who is telling Moses to do this? God, right? It's a God that made his mouth. He says, oh, I have my faltering lips. I can't speak. I'm not eloquent. Who made that mouth? This is what God says, right? If God is the one that commands, what can we do? What can we do? We have to do it, right? 
I mean, when you read the text, it doesn't sound very rational. It doesn't sound reasonable at all. God, God, are you, aren't you being kind of unreasonable? This is, we could say that. But man, if it's God that's telling him to do it, telling him to do it, how can he not do it? In the same, in the same way, if God commands us to claim the souls that are taken hostage out in this world, who are we to object against the mission of God? None of us. Now, God does not tell him to do these things because he trusts Moses' abilities. God tells Moses to do it because he knows his own abilities. Sometimes when we serve, we put a lot of ourselves into the picture and we want to we wanna feel like good about ourselves in that way. But let me tell you, that's actually counterproductive, actually. When we are so emptied out that He can really be present in the fullness in ourselves, that is when you will truly be able to witness some of the power that we all want to witness and to be able to testify for. So, of course, uh, in during the process, we only know any part of God. And Moses himself could not know uh, all these things that God had in plan. He only shows a little bit at a time, right? Just a, a couple weeks ago, we, we all celebrated the risen Lord, Easter. It's not that we just celebrate the risen Lord on Easter, but He's walking with us today. Is He walking with you guys today? Nod your head if He's walking with you today. If He's walking with you today, you're lacking in absolutely nothing. And there's, seriously, in the out in the world, there's nobody that could be more envious than you guys. You have to know this. You have to have to really truly know this. He loves our souls and he wants genuine worship. He does not force us to love him. He gives us freedom. That's how precious our freedom is. He will not infringe upon our freedom because He wants from our hearts genuine worship, genuine love. Right? That is something to be, that is something to marvel at. You know? That He's so real that He will allow us to even, to even consider the possibility of disobeying. So, uh, in closing, what I want to uh, exhort and impart upon you is the importance of us being, playing a part to participate, to participate in His mission because the mission of God, as He pulled Abram out of the, the Ur of the Chaldees to show the land that He had to show him, is something that is going on today. We don't even have to look that far back. You look at your own parents. If not your parents, maybe one generation before, they had to move from where they were at. Where they were at, they had friends there, they had family ties there, they had things that they were familiar with, accustomed to. But they left all that to come to a new country, a new nation that they had not known before. And it was all—it was a certain measure of faith that 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 they had to they had to have to be able to do that. We are living here as a product of that of that impetus, right? I would not be surprised if 
after all the life uh, that we live here, enjoying what, what this country has to offer, if he does not displace us, pluck us out to go to a remote place where he says, I have great plans for you in this nation. I want you to, to reap the harvest of souls that will come to me. Lead them out into the wilderness so that they'll come worship me. That is a very desirable place to be. I mean, not that everybody will be like a Moses, but if you were given one soul, one special soul to love to the point where you can lead that person to, to God, to really love God, then it will be a life well lived. Can we all wish for something like that in our lives? Give me an amen. It's like, yeah, I want that, Pastor. Give me that. Give me an amen. Amen. All right. Let us close in prayer. Our precious Father, we thank you so much that uh, you have given us uh, so much in your text, in your, in your word. And uh, as, we, as we ponder upon how difficult it must have been for, for Moses to be sandwiched between such a, hard, a tight spot where his own people don't listen to him and, uh, and uh, he has to, to oppose an enemy so formidable, all, under, on, on, all, all the while where he can't say no to you, Lord. Uh, but we find that that is also the sweet spot. That's where we want to be. Uh, we want to be in that uncomfortable spot where we need you, where we need to be on our knees and where we need to seek you in that way. So Lord, give us courage to want you more. Um, in our imperfection and your perfection, Lord, is, is necessarily uncomfortable. And we can't so comfortably come before you and approach you. But Lord, by the, the grace and the, the blood of Jesus, we're able to, Lord, uh, seek that closeness. Lord, we ask, we ask you, Lord, that we would be effective intercessors that is able to effectively point to the God of freedom, the God of liberation, just as you have said, the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Help us to be able to really live a life free from sin. So help me, God. May the blessings go before this uh, congregation, the blessings of knowing the, the Lord of liberation. And all of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now at this time we have a time of responsive praise, after which we have a time of offering.